It is week 10 of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Zach King. Kinger, how are we doing this week? I'm doing great, Kelly. We are on to November. Fall has come and gone already here in the Midwest. We're already on to winter, the day after Halloween. Got some nice snow yesterday. Maction is in full force. I hope you and your family had a very nice Halloween. Kelly, knowing you as well as I do, I'm sure you did not dress up, but I think my recommendation for you would have been to go as Connor Stallions. I think that would have been a big hit for the neighborhood, family, and friends. But I think I've said it three or four times this year, we have an absolutely excellent slate of college football this week. Primetime games at all three time slots. It's going to be an excellent Saturday, and I'm feeling good, Kelly. We avoided a complete disaster gambling last weekend. I put myself in a pretty big college hole. Would have been down some significant money. Got myself out of it with a big NFL parlay. So I'm riding high into this week, ready to break down. we got a great guest, great show for tonight, and I'm ready to dive into it. King, you are right. The college Kelly that you knew, got to know, and have known for a long time would not have dressed up for Halloween. There's nothing that sounds less fun for me than dressing up, going to some random house and hanging out with random people that I don't know. Would have been much happier just, you know, in the house with us, our friends, having a good time, watching Maction. But dude, that's been a while. Now with the two kids, Fletcher wanted to be Woody. Scarlett wanted to be Jesse. Well, I think she just wanted to be something that Fletcher was. So you're looking at Mr. Buzz Lightyear right here. Oh the wife was gosh. Mrs. Potato Head. Dude, I love it was, that, dude. I would have never was, expected that. It was quite the night. The kids make you do things you never would have thought you'd do, man. It's crazy. But um, it snowed on us. So not ideal for trick-or-treating. I will say it's great for Maction games. There were some, there were some great shots of that here in the Midwest uh, on Tuesday night. But not great for trick-or-treating. It's all good, King. We did it. We had fun. Saw the CFP release their top 25. I'm sure we'll talk about that as we hit on some of the games here tonight. But before we get into it, King, we have, as you mentioned, a very special guest. Um, this is something I don't say lightly, King. The, the guest lineup we've had this year has been fantastic, and, and in previous years. We've never not had a good guest. I am incredibly excited about this guest. In my opinion, King, there are really two individuals who shaped the college football predictive analytics landscape more than anybody else. Um, and in no particular order here, I'm going in dramatic effect. One is Brian Fromo. Uh, and he was on the podcast for us earlier this year, had an absolutely great time talking to Brian, um, went deep into FEI, his proprietary metric that he's created and had a ton of fun. The other one is a man by the name of Bill Connolly. He's the proprietor of SP Plus, formerly SMP Plus. We dropped the ampersand a while back. Uh, he works for ESPN now, but he's been in a couple different stops. He is our guest tonight, and I am so excited to have him. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And, and with Maxion on in the background here, too. Of course, Maxion is always on in the background as Kinger and I record uh, on either a Tuesday or a Wednesday night into November. So can't, can't agree more. Got to have those games on because they are so fun. Bill, I've said this you know, only once or twice before, and I say it again, meaning it. You really probably don't need an introduction because if our if our listeners are tuned into this, they know who you are. Um, but in case it's someone's first episode, they don't know what this show is all about. If you wouldn't mind, just share a little bit about yourself, your background. How'd you get started in this space? Who's your favorite team? Why do you love college football? I mean, take this wherever you want to go, man. The floor is yours. <laughs> um, well, I started a Missouri blog in 2007 and um it was, you know, winter, spring, whatever, uh, basketball ended and we, and we realized we just started a blog and we don't have anything to talk about for like five months here. 
Um, and so realizing that I liked baseball stats a lot, but I, I hated baseball, never watched baseball, just played with spreadsheets and whatnot. So did I realize like, why am I, why, why, why am I not doing that with football? What exists out there? Uh, you know, Googled college football analytics. And my joke is that Google just kind of shrugged its shoulders and didn't return anything. It did just lead me to football outsiders, which had just started running for most stuff um, within, the, I think within a few months before that, or maybe the previous season. And um, he was doing drive by drive stuff. I was, was, I was picturing baseball stats. I was looking for play by play. Um, And so, you know, I work with spreadsheets all day. I just started entering play by play into spreadsheets um, and started playing with it. Found at football outsiders found they had a a success rate that kind of mirrored on base percentage. So I started playing with that and came up with what I felt was a more college appropriate you know, definition of success rate and and played with that, found, you know, a really created a really what had to have been a terrible expected points model, but kind of used that for, uh, you know, a, a slugging percentage, so to speak, points per play. That's where the S and the P come from, success rate and points per play. Um, moved to ESPN and Standard & Poor, discovered S&P Plus and said, no, you can't do that. Uh, so we got rid of the ampersand. Um, but... But, but yeah, I mean, just in general, I just started there. I emailed Aaron Schatz at Football Outsiders after I'd been playing with stuff for a few months. And, and you know, he had no college writers other than Brian. And, and he had the, or at least, you know, doing their own stat stuff. And so joined there in 08, started uh, full-time at SB Nation in 2011. So I started Football Study Hall in 2011 as well. And, um, you know, just... Worked with the really amazing SB Nation college football team for most of the 2010s, joined ESPN in 2019. And somehow this is already my uh, fifth season at ESPN. Uh, time time gets really weird as you get older, I guess. But um, And as the world gets weird around you, but whatever. Uh, five years at ESPN here, or five seasons at ESPN, and you know, on we go. That's awesome, Bill. Really appreciate you recapping that. You have been at great places. You have worked with awesome people. I will say, yes, time has flown. You said you've been at ESPN since 2019. There are still college football players, though, Bill, uh, that previous to your time at ESPN are playing college football, most likely not at the same school unless you're Frank Harris. Um, but outside of that, I mean, yeah, time has flown, but it, the world got weird around us and it got weird around us pretty quick here around COVID. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, second season at ESPN is the COVID season. And, and that was obviously 12 years in and of itself, I guess. But um, you know, t- since then, time has, has gone by pretty quickly, at least. No, no doubt. Well, Bill, you said you started in 2007. Uh, geez, what a great year to get started in college football predictive analytics. That is 2007. I'm on record and believe very strongly the best year of college football, at least in my lifetime, since the early 90s and that I can remember at least since the you know the early 2000s. I'm not sure we'll ever see a year like 2007 again with the curse of number two, just the absolute chaos we had week in, week out, no dominant teams. It looks like for a minute, from the no dominant team standpoint, we might be a little bit on that track in 2023, but I think, uh, I think we kind of strayed from that path as we've got some contenders that have separated a little bit. Bill, what I want to ask, and King, I promise I'll let you get in here. What I want to ask, Bill, is you've been doing this since 2007. You've been at ESPN since 2019. The, the formula, the model, it has no doubt changed and evolved over, over <laughs> as he laughs, changed and evolved over time. What has been the, the biggest change that you've implemented into the model since the time you started and what's something that when you started you just had no idea would be 
a predictive element, predictive in nature that you found to be like, wow, this is something that I really wish I would have had in earlier because it's just that great. Well, I think, I mean, early on, I was, I didn't know what I was doing early on. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, I, I would assume the, you know, the absolute error for those first few seasons was it like in the 15s or something, if I even knew to track absolute error. But, um, I, I, you know, as I went along and, and, you know, realized that, you know, I'm at Football Outsiders and this has at least a little bit of traction, I should probably know what I'm doing. Um, you know, you start to just read what other people do, read the methods that everybody goes through. I think the biggest change for me was just when I, when I slapped everything on a bell curve, um, like everything I did was based around, started in probably, I don't know, 13, 2013, somewhere around there. Um, that that made it a lot more of a serious uh, measure and, and being able to appropriately kind of, you know, s- set up good scoring curves and everything else and, and um, you know, figure out what to do with outliers, the things that are above about the 99th percentile and whatnot. Uh, you know, that, that the experience, the tweaking never stops. Um, every single year, there's some little tweak that I'm making just from an opponent adjustment standpoint or, or just better mathematical practice standpoint. Um, and I think the, the, the last round of changes I made, this was SP Plus's best year from an, a median error standpoint till this last week. I think we started to um, the, the get, close the gap on all previous years after a funky uh, week nine. But until then, it was performing as well as it ever had. Um, and, and so, I mean... Hopefully, every if I make a change, it's because I've played with with the data and and uh, and it looks like a good one. I'm not just uh, you know going going on whims or anything, but no, just overall that that has been it's it's nonstop. It, I probably change it too much, um, which is always you know you get yelled at on Twitter. You think your model knows everything and you know whatever. Like no, I I every single time I miss a game, which happens you know about fifty percent of the time. Uh, it, you know, there's a little existential crisis going on, but, um, no, it's, I, I think the tweaks have been good. Um, trying to, there was another question in there that I'm now blanking on. Uh, it was just, um, what have you found to be predicted oh, yeah, in yeah. recent years that maybe you didn't think would be in years past? I know, for example, you've really increased in your returning production, the, uh, impact that offensive <laughs> linemen has. So that, that's like yeah. an example of something that you found maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, I, the first big change was was realizing realizing how powerful success rate was. Um, yeah, I talk about success rate and explosiveness and all that other stuff. I had my my five factors back in about 2013 as well, and that was you know I knew efficiency and explosiveness were the big ones of the that group, and you had finishing drives and field position and turnovers. But uh, once I started playing, like you know, early on, I didn't really am I ranking teams based on what they've done? Am I is this a is this a predictor? Like, what am I actually trying to do? Once I kind of committed to making it a, a general predictive model as opposed to just a big evaluative split the difference kind of thing, uh, that's when I started to realize success rates the one thing you can control. Like big plays and turnovers win games. Absolutely, every coach in the country preaches that to their team every single week. But you can't really practice not dropping balls all that well. You can, everybody tries to, uh, but you know, you can't say, okay, let's go make a big play now that it, you know, the only thing you can control really is getting five yards on first down and staying, you know, 70% on second down and all that stuff. That's a lot more repeatable uh, than the big plays. So that, that was a huge kind of, that, that, that made the measure a lot better in and of itself when I realized how powerful that was. But yeah, now most of the, I mean, I'll still play with, you know, just tweaks here and there, but the biggest impact, the biggest experimentation time now is obviously on the returning production model, just because 
the the entire definition of returning production has changed. I think I started doing that, I don't know, 15, 16, something in that neighborhood is when I started trying to collect that data. I was writing the previews for all the teams and I had the data and I figured, wait, I, I can actually, you know, do something with this. And, um, you know, that, that was, it was a pretty cool thing to, you know, figure out like percentage of quarterback yards are worth this percentage of uh, running, uh, rushing yards are worth this and, and start to piece together an equation. Um, but then moving to ESPN and getting snap count data meant I didn't have to rely on offensive line starts and therefore offensive line. Now that I had good data for offensive line, suddenly the offensive line returning production was a much more powerful thing. And now of course the, the transfers, trying to figure out what, what does returning production mean at all in 2023? That's been every year we'll have another year of data and I'll be able to play, you know, overthink how to do that for the next year. Absolutely. And hopefully as we get going here, the one-time free transfer, the extra COVID year of eligibility, all that levels out. Hopefully we had a big spike here recently. Uh, maybe it gets a little bit easier for us to track and use moving forward. King, if I'm not careful, I will talk to Bill with questions for multiple hours. He doesn't have that time and I want to make sure I get you in here too. So Kinger, I'll turn it over to you. Well, I appreciate that. And Bill, I just wanted to ask a couple questions around the start. You said something I thought was really unique. You said you loved baseball stats, but hated baseball. What would you say about that drew you to it? Was it the sheer volume and different, different stats? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely the, the fact that, you know, Bill, by that point, this was 20 years ago or whatever, when I started playing with baseball stats, like Bill, Bill James was already a thing. Moneyball was becoming a thing. Um, so it just existed like football. It was only, I mean, uh, football outsiders had only started in 03. So whenever I was first playing with baseball stats, I don't even know if FO existed. So that was part of it. Also, I did like baseball at one point. I just grew to hate it okay. um, because, I mean, A, I'm a Pirates fan, um, which... Understandable. Um, it's been a, it explains some misery. Yeah, some misery for you over the years. Right. And just like the the 90s and the way the inequality got baked in, clearly they've fixed a little bit of that re, uh, over time. And they haven't right. fixed the pirates, but they've at least fixed some of the inequality. But um, I, I just kind of soured on it and realized I don't, uh, you know, I don't enjoy the sport as, as much as I enjoy football or tennis or whatever. And so I kind of just, since the pirates weren't giving me any reason to watch, I just stopped watching and didn't miss it. But, um, <laughs> But no, like I mean, that was when I was playing with stats. A lot of it was like I'm gonna build the Pirates roster on these spreadsheets and you know make them like identify all the top prospects and all that kind of stuff. And it none of it involved actually watching games, so it was okay. <laughs> Very cool, definitely interesting perspective, unique perspective there. And I guess you kind of answered that secondary question, but you said you started in Mizzou blog. I'm assuming you were covering all sports. For, at Mizzou when you were going through that? Really, how did you get the shift into football? Was football always your primary sport? How did that? Yeah, football. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma. Therefore, I, football was always the primary sport. Um, I, I mean, at one point, I was a nerd. So, I mean, I, I fell in love with every sport at one point or another. I fell in love with horse racing for a while when I was like 12. <laughs> but uh, football was always the over was always the 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 number one and so um you know started in mizzou so really we just some friends and i started a mizzou blog because we got tired of uh message boards and you know mizzou had one of the first just really really awesome message boards but every message board on the, in the history of creation has grown toxic over times and um after after a few years of that i was like you know i just want to talk to my friends i'm just going to write on this little blog and see what happens um and you know, but then I realized, you know, as you realize you have something to say, you you start trying to maybe get a little more attention 
um, and, and reach out to other people. And, you know, I was posting fan shots on, on, um, on Matt Hinton's site at SB nation, uh, you know, what Dr. Saturday, uh, Dr. Saturday, that didn't sound right. Matt Hinton, uh, Sunday morning quarterback, duh. Um, but he like, you know, it was, I was just, once I realized I, I had some things that I thought were interesting, at least that's when you start trying to branch out and promote yourself. It started just because I wanted to talk to my friends on the internet and write about it. And I could write, you know, 10,000 word previews that three people would read and it didn't matter. So, um, that was, that was certainly a big part of it. How times have changed for you, Bill, on that front. Uh, now you write, you can write 10 words and uh, 3,000 people would read it. So no, it's uh, it's great though. I, I appreciate um, all that context and background. And again, I could go forever in the interest of trying to keep us on time and respectful of your time. I have just one more uh, before we can get into it. Bill, one of the coolest things that I've experienced, and I've said this before, without the work of you and Brian, I wouldn't be doing anything that I'm doing with the K Ford ratings or, and I know lots of other people are in that same boat. So really appreciate everything you've done to kind of pave the way. One of the coolest things that I found about the ratings and uh, X formerly Twitter uh, and just the social media space is the connections that I've been able to make with various people in the space, such as yourself, such as Brian and others like that, having you on this podcast. I mean, it's among the coolest things that I've been able to experience as a result of doing the ratings work. What is the coolest thing that you have been able to do or experience since 2007 as a result of your work in this space? It could be going to a game. It could be meeting somebody cool. I, I, I don't know. What is the coolest thing? I did not prep you with this, so I apologize to put you on the spot. I just It's, it's fascinating to me to hear the cool things that you're able to do as a result of the work you've done in this space. Well, there was, I think, one time where a person came up to me at a Mizzou game and, and wanted to chat me up. And that was kind of funny just because, I mean, my, I'm not on TV just a ton by any means. And so, like, I don't expect anybody to recognize me. Um, and and one person at, at a Mizzou game did. And that was kind of funny. I, my friend thought that was really funny. But, I mean, otherwise, it has it has been a certain, you know, the first time... Um, just, you know, as you know, I've been on Twitter since whatever, oh, nine or something. And, um, you know, just the first time you interact with people, you know, whether it's a, a Bomani or a Herb Street or whatever, and they respond and, um, you know, that's just kind of cool. Or you get a retweet. I, what was it? Um, a few weeks ago, Dickie V retweeted my like Friday morning preview. And that was the funniest thing in the world. Just, um, I mean, first of all, cool. He watches football. I, I mean, I he's your colleague, right? He's your yeah, colleague. I mean, that's right. Yeah, that, those kinds of things. When you realize, they're like, oh yeah, my coworker, or yeah. um, you know, I, I write about tennis around the slams because that was the one sport I was better than other kids at when I was growing up. And um, you know, I've found I've, I, I like I found a voice over time with tennis that I really like. But then, like you know, they'll ask you to you know contribute to, to some answers to the Australian open preview or whatever. And then you pull it up and it's like your answer. And then Chris Everts, like, what's going on? This is stupid. <laughs> this is really dumb. Uh, me and my good friend, Chris Everett previewed the Australian, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it has just been like the longer you're around and the more you interact with people, you do st kind of step back and realize this is really funny that this is uh, happening the way it has. Cause I mean, it, it really did start as a, uh, um, you know, me and my buddy Seth wanting to to talk crap to each other uh, on a Mizzou site. That is so cool. And yes, I can imagine all of those interactions, all of those chances you've had uh, to, to write with people and interact with people, tweet at people, have them tweet you. 
Very, very cool. Actually, uh, at the risk of embarrassing myself, I'm pretty sure, Bill, I think the, the first time you ever retweeted me, I'm I, I, I'm not pretty sure. I, I know. I screenshot it and sent it to Kinger and all my friends and said, guys, look what just happened. So I totally get the feeling. And and, and now you're on our, our show with us and we really appreciate it. So I get it. It's fun. It's exciting. And it is kind of out of this world when certain people that you've looked up to um, take notice of you in that space. So very cool. Well, guys, I could talk about this for literally hours, like I said. But we have some really important games this week uh, in the college football slate, and I want to make sure we get to them. But King, before we do, you mentioned it. We're in November now. This is the home stretch. This is when all the biggest regular season games happen. Stakes are high. You're playing your rivals. You're getting ready for rivalry week. That's only a few weeks away now. I can't wait. But King, the weather has gotten cold. Where you and I live in the Midwest, Bill's not too far away. Um, it's snowing on us, King. You can't just be out there wearing your jersey anymore, your t-shirt and shorts. Like If people are going to games and they want to rep their school, where can they go? End of the season, Kelly. Everybody needs to be refreshing that wardrobe, getting that cold weather gear. And the place to go do that is Home Field Apparel. We've been running this promotion all year long. 15% off for first-time buyers using code Variety Sports. It's the end of the season. There's not going to be too many more opportunities for you to rock new gear in this college football season. Make sure you go check out Home Field. They've been a great sponsor of the Variety Sports Network. And I know just from following Bill on X, a uh, big home field fan that we have over here in Bill, I think he's got probably their entire line uh, of various schools. Bill, what's your favorite home field apparel uh, item that you have? I only have a couple of of the hoodies because, I mean, I've already got the Puma hoodies that get me through most of the uh, of the winter. But the Mizzou script one is awesome. The, 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 the new green Oregon one um, with the O and the duck on it is what may be my favorite piece of clothing in the closet it is it is a it's a stunner i i, I appreciated uh that they did that one and you got to stop at some point because uh th there's just there's too many at this point but i got my eye on one of those boston terrier shirts too that just came out i anything with a dumb looking dog on it i'm probably going to get at some point <laughs> oh that that is awesome yes you're right it's dangerous they, they put out so many great great items it's dangerous you can uh, spend all your money over there at homefieldapparel.com um all right guys let's get into it bill as every single week, what we do is we let our guests pick a game, Kinger and I pick a game, and then we put it out to our fans to pick a game. So we have four feature games. We always let our guests go first with the game that they wanted to talk about. And as we were getting ready for this episode, I actually didn't even really give Bill an option. I said, hey, so you get to pick a game, but Bill, just so you know, I'm going to be pretty disappointed if you don't pick Missouri at Georgia. His response, I believe, was, I mean, someone has to. So Bill, we're starting with you, and we're starting with your Missouri Tigers. What do you make of this game, Missouri going down to Athens to take on the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to predict. It's hard to preview, I should say, a Georgia game because you. I mean, there's two Georgias. There's the one that uh, labors through everything and isn't scared of their opponent and, and knows over 60 minutes they're eventually going to pull ahead. Uh, and that team, when uh, I was looking at my SP Plus rankings or the the week to week projections this morning, Georgia against teams outside the top 40, I think, yeah, 40 in, in SP Plus are underachieving by 10 points per game. Uh, they're underachieving projections by 10 points per game because they don't show up for they're tied after 20 minutes every time. Uh, the two games they've played against top 40 teams, they've overachieved by 17 points per game. And so knowing that it's hard because I can tell you the projections say, you know, uh, Georgia by about 14. I can say that, you know, Georgia's run defense isn't as uh, quite as strong as it used to be. Those in the raw numbers, like Russian success rate and whatnot, they're in the 30s and 40s there. Uh, they don't pressure the passer. Missouri has the best offense by far, really best receiving core for sure, best skill core for sure that they've faced this year. 
Um, and it's a fun little diverse. You've got the five star burden. You've got the former D2 All-American Cody Schrader. It's a really fun group. Uh, and I can tell you all the, the, the matchups that my stats say Mizzou can take advantage of. And if Georgia comes out and it does the whole Mike Tyson punch out thing in the first eight seconds, none of it matters. So that is part, I mean, you figure, you figure Missouri has Georgia's attention. They they almost beat them last year. Obviously they're top 15 right now in the playoff rankings. I'm sure Kirby has more than enough material on, you know, making all his team think that, that everybody's picking Missouri to win by 24 points or whatever. Um, he's the best disrespect master since Bob Stoops, I'm pretty sure. But um, like I, I, I can I can tell you that I think when a team beats Georgia, if a team ever beats Georgia, it'll be because they made Carson Beck really uncomfortable because uh, he really hasn't been all that uncomfortable this year. Um, they they hit him a lot. They pressured him a lot. They made him rush his decision making, uh, and they hit on a couple deep passes or, or or big runs, just big chunk plays, easy points. Um, and, and they ding, they took advantage of whatever the Georgia defense gave them in that regard. That's really the only recipe. Missouri actually came out of nowhere to almost follow it last year, uh, but they kept settling for field goals instead of touchdowns, and Georgia went into perfection mode the last 10 minutes. And then Ohio State hit them with some big plays and was really, really able to keep up. They really weren't able to make Stetson Bennett uncomfortable enough, and that ended up costing them. But that's that's a formula. It's kind of easy to lay out there. It's just you know nobody's been able to do it in two years. So I, I don't know if Missouri or anybody else is any different this year either. Easier said than done, I think, is the saying there. You can lay it out, but it's hard to execute. Kinger, what do you make of this game? It should be a great one in the SEC East. Yeah, like my nemesis, the Alabama Crimson Tide, I really just can't seem to get on the right side of betting Georgia. I think I'm 0-3 now after the Florida game this last weekend. And so this, I really believe Missouri's got a chance to keep this close. So for all the listeners out there, this probably means Georgia's going to blow them out and you should bet the opposite side. But I think Missouri does have a capable offense here. I think they have the athletes to keep this competitive. They got a top 20 passing offense in the country. They've got a stud in Luther Burden, like Bill said. But I think a lot of this starts with the improvement of Brady Cook. He's taken a step this year with his accuracy, limiting the turnovers, completing almost 70% of his passes, 15 touchdowns, three interceptions. This is the best offense that the Bulldogs have faced this year. And this is really the only one that's shown to have some significant firepower up until this, up until this point. And this is starting what's going to be a pretty, the most difficult part of the Georgia Bulldogs schedule this year. So I do think the Georgia secondary is going to be tested this week. That pass rush has been somewhat lacking. That's going to be important to get after cook this week. But that being said, this game is in Athens. Georgia has dominated Missouri, winning 10 of the last 11 meetings. And I think Carson Beck does continue to play very good football. This Missouri secondary is the weak point of this defense. They've given up a lot of yards this year. And Georgia has shown that even without Brock Bowers, they have the weapons and Beck is capable of pushing the ball down the field. So I think Missouri does have the bodies up front to challenge Georgia in the run game. That has not been a strength of theirs this year. But Even still, Beck has shown they don't really need that run game to win games up until this point. They've skated by a few few and a few close games, but they found ways to get this done. So I do think Missouri is going to give it a fight. But at the end of the day, Georgia, I think, is too talented. And if they get off to a hot start like they did in that Kentucky game, I think this is going to be another area which Missouri could end up getting run out of the gym, running off the field. But I think Missouri does have the talent, the offense to keep this relatively close. Guys, now that we're officially in the CFP top 25 season, I'll give a quick comparison between the CFP ranking and my most deserving for any team that's kind of in that mix. I won't spend too much time on it, King. You know I could go forever on these things, so I won't. The committee has Missouri number 12 and Georgia number two. I won't complain too much about the Tigers. I have them number 11 in my most deserving. 
But to me, Georgia's overranked. I'd have them number seven uh, in terms of what they've accomplished on the field this year. Did I think the committee was going to leave them outside the top four? No, based on their previous achievements. But based on this year, I'd have them number seven. Dogs are number seven in my record achievement. There's a 26% chance the average top 25 FBS team would be undefeated against Georgia's schedule to date. And the Bulldogs are number 11 in relative scoring margin. They're outscoring their opponents by 6.8 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team. There really, to me, isn't a reason that Georgia's ranked in the top four if you don't mention two-time reigning national champion. And those that, that accomplishment is great. Those accomplishments, they should be celebrated, but they're program accomplishments, not 2023 team accomplishments. So to me, it's as simple as that. I think Georgia's overranked. I'm actually kind of glad the committee didn't put him any lower than that because, as Bill said, Kirby's the master motivator, and he's going to take any disrespect, even number two. He's going to say, guys, they think we're number two, and they're going to use that. So if they were any lower, it would have been even worse. This game, for me, has a watch, watchability score of 8.2. Uh, it's the number one game of the afternoon window, so it's going to be on the main screen, that's for sure. SEC on CBS, 3.30 Eastern. I absolutely love that spot. Easy to understand why this is the number one game of that window. Uh, the inside track to Atlanta out of the East Division, it's on the line. For Georgia, it's simple. You win and you book your travel down the road for a sixth trip to Atlanta in seven seasons. But a win for Missouri would give the Tigers uh, a very important uh, tiebreaker over Georgia and make that game against Tennessee and Columbia, which, Bill, I'm sure you may be going to that one. Uh, it makes it all that much more important for the Tigers. In this game, I've got Georgia minus 14. It's an 84% win expectancy for the Bulldogs. They were number one for me in my preseason power ratings. They fell out of that spot after week three. Last week, they were a season low number 10 in my power ratings. Uh, but after just a beat down of Florida, they're now up to number six. The offense, currently a season best number six. The defense is number seven in my unit rankings. And for Missouri, I mean, it's been a great season. I know we don't have to tell tell Missouri fans that. At 7-1, the Tigers have 2.2 more wins than my preseason realistic expectations projected through Week 9. That's number 6 nationally on my overachievers list. Number 24 is where the Tigers are in the power ratings this year. It's the best I've had them power rated all year. And this is the best team we've had uh, for Missouri since they finished number 15 in the power ratings back in 2018 for me. The offense, number 17, that's a season best, and it, timing couldn't be better because, Kinger, you mentioned it. This is going to be the best opposing defense that Missouri has faced all year. It's going to be the best team that Missouri faces all year based on my current numbers. They do have the rest advantage. They were not; they did not play last week. Uh, even So even though they do have to travel to Athens, they have that rest advantage. But still, my numbers give Georgia the advantage on both sides of the ball, uh, especially that dog's offense against the Missouri number 28 defense. The fact that it's in Athens where Georgia hasn't lost since 2019 makes it all the more difficult. I've got Georgia minus 14, 16% chance that Missouri earns its second ever win against Georgia. King, or you touched on this. The Tigers are 1-11 all time. They're on a nine-game losing streak in this series. King. The next game is one that you wanted to talk about. It's a huge one in the Big 12. Uh, we got Kansas State going on the road to Texas, King. What do you make of this one? Yeah, big noon Saturday, Big 12 football. They just go together perfectly, in my opinion. This is a huge match in the Big 12. Two teams with very good defenses. Late morning game in Austin. This is going to be an awesome game. And Kelly, I think you were relatively high in Kansas State at the beginning of the year. But to be honest, personally, I am a little bit surprised that K-State is still in this position. I knew they were going to be a pretty good football this football team this year. The amount of talent that was lost last year at Kansas State and to be where they are now with it's still another decent chance at reaching the conference championship game is a massive credit to Chris Kleiman and his staff. Now, it's been a little bit of an interesting road for Kansas State this year. They have dominated a lot of Big 12, game, 
Big 12 teams. They did have that bad loss to Oklahoma State. But if you look at their schedule, they've been on the side of good fortune. A lot of Big 12 teams have when it comes to opposing teams QB. This is actually going to be the fourth backup Big 12 QB that Kansas State will have faced thus far this year. They already had John Rice Plumley out with UCF, Tyler Show for Texas Tech, Chandler Morris for TCU. And it does not look like Quinn Ewers is going to play this week. So it will be Malik Murphy for Texas. You can obviously take that stat as you will. It surely does not matter to K-State fans. They're winning games, winning games big, which is all that matters, and the expectation is going to be the same this week. Now, consistent winning programs have an identity, and I think the K-State program is one that has developed an identity of physical football. They're built around playing good defense in the trenches. The defense has been on fire the last couple weeks. They've got a pretty good off, a pretty stout offensive line led by Cooper Beebe. That guy's going to be playing on Sundays next year, and Kansas State is a team that likes to pound the rock. They've been very efficient at running the ball. Currently, the Cats are third in the Big 12 at almost five and a half yards per carry, and they lead the conference with 23 touchdowns, which is good for fifth in the country. The run game has carried them. They've needed it to have, they needed to have success running the ball this year with some inconsistent QB play at times. And this is going to be K-State's toughest challenge yet versus this Texas defense. They're the most physical they've placed. They're number one ranked rushing defense, only allowing 3.2 yards per carry. We've talked about this revamped Texas D-line. This is going to be a high-level matchup to watch in this game. It's going to be extremely competitive, and I don't really see either side dominating this game one or another. The key for Kansas State is going to be to get the QB play that they've gotten from Will Howard the past three weeks to carry over into this week. There was a little bit of a QV controversy a few weeks ago when freshman Avery Johnson came in, got some playing time, had some success running the ball. But it looks like they made the right decision to stick with Howard. It's paid off the last couple of weeks. He's played interception-free football, and he's been extremely efficient. Now, second, Texas secondary has been up and down this year. They've been pretty good at creating turnovers, but they've let up some yardage to better opposing QBs. Examples, Donovan Smith, Dalen Gabriel. They can be attacked through the year. And I'm just not sure if K-State has the weapons on the outside to consistently win these battles. And I think so I do think you have to lean Texas in a defensive matchup versus Kansas State. And I think you can also say you can lean the exact same way with the K-State defense versus the Texas offense. The run defense has once again been excellent for K-State this year. They've had some serious injuries in the linebacking crew, but they're still second in the conference, only behind Texas. And stopping the run game of Jonathan Brooks is going to be the primary fo focus this week. And the key for Texas is just going to be to take their shots. They've got the wide receiving crew. This is one of the best wide receiving units in the country. And this K-State secondary has not been great. Malik Murphy is going to have to make some throws in this game. The Texas O-line should be able to hold up well. So I do think this game is a lot in his hands. Are they going to be able to get those explosive plays that are so important to winning, like Bill said? So I'm sorry. I hate to do this to our previous guests, Kelly in Vegas, K-State fan from last year. It's not going to change this week. Texas has dominated this series. They have not lost to Kansas State since 2016. And I think at home this week, they have the offensive weapons and firepower that Kansas State doesn't. So I think Texas wins this game this week. And I like them to cover. I haven't bet it yet, but I do think laying four is a good number with Texas this week. Fair enough, King. Uh, both these teams in the committee's top 25, and they're both underranked by three spots for me. Kansas State's number 23. I'd have them number 20. Texas is number seven. I'd have them number four. Longhorns are fifth in record achievement. They're 10th in relative scoring margin. I think the committee's sending the wrong message here. Uh, you've got, you know, just group the undefeated teams at the top, and then these one-loss teams, and then the two-loss teams. Like, Texas is not getting rewarded, I don't think, for playing Alabama. And similarly, Alabama, I mean, if they would have scheduled UAB instead of uh, Texas, are they going to be, they're not going to be number seven anymore or number eight, wherever they are. They're going to be up there with Michigan and Georgia. So I think the committee just sent in the wrong message with, uh, with how they did it. But if I'm a Texas fan, I'm upset that I'm not in the top four this week, but there is a long way to go. 
This game has a watchability score of 9.7 out of 10 for me, guys. It's the number two game of the week. Between this game and Bedlam, we're going to have a much clearer picture of the Big 12 Conference Championship game race after this week. The winner of this game, approximately a three and four chance to make it to Arlington, while the loser, approximately just a one and four chance. So 50% leverage for both teams in a game that's not the final game of the regular season. Like, this is absolutely huge, guys. The winner also remains in the CFP picture, uh, primarily Texas, but Kansas State's still lurking. We've never seen a two-loss team get in there, but if they can run the table and, and win the Big 12, they'll be in the conversation. Model's been pretty dialed in on Texas this year. Longhorns have been between number six and number 12 overall every single week. The offense has been between number eight and number 16 every week except for one, and after beginning the season number 16, the defense has been between number four and number 12 ever since. This team's legit. They might be the best in the Big 12, and I know Kansas State's going to have something to say about it here. Kansas State's power rating's 19.1 this week. They're up to number 12 in the power ratings. That's the best they've been all year. My power rating suggests, actually, guys, this Kansas State team is better than the 2022 team that won the Big 12 championship. Bill, I don't know if you have your numbers in front of you. I'd be curious uh, if your numbers would agree with that or not. The last time that Kansas State finished number 12 or better, guys, for me, in the K Ford ratings, the historical numbers, they finished sixth in 2012. Colin Klein was the quarterback. The Wildcats were an upset loss in Waco away from a spot in the BCS National Championship game. This could be the best team we've seen in Manhattan in a decade, at least by my numbers currently. This defense has been pretty much what we expected this year. They started the year number 25. They're currently 23, but it's the offense that's performed much better than expected. They began the year number 26. They're now number 11. Because of that offensive improvement, Kansas State's power rating has been upgraded 8.3 points since the preseason. Only SMU, Jacksonville State, and Oregon have experienced larger in-season upgrades than Kansas State. It's just been a phenomenal year for Kansas State, really two years in a row. But for as nice of a year as it's been in Manhattan, Texas King, as you said, they have the best offense, the best defense, and the best overall team that the Wildcats will face all season based on my current numbers. The model gives the Longhorns the advantage on both sides of the ball. This game's in Austin. Bottom line, I got Texas minus five and a half. It's a 35% chance that Kansas State ends its six-game losing skid to the Longhorns and earns their first win in Austin since 2011, Bill. What's SP Plus think of this, and what, what does Bill Connolly think of this? Uh, yeah, they were 13th last year, and they're currently 13th this year in SP Plus, so they basically matching um, what they did last year when they won the Big 12. I mean, yeah, they they lost via 61-yard field goal to a team that is 12th in the CFP rankings, uh, and they, they Will Howard had the best, the, you know, I, I don't know what Oklahoma State defenders were doing that night uh in Stillwater it was just he wasn't seeing them they were just appearing in in the passing lane after he threw the pass over and over again uh and he just had a terrible terrible game and they seemed to have rectified him a little bit um strangely by getting getting the four-star freshman involved uh in in packages here and there uh so it's it's been really interesting to see the, the thing that Chris Kleiman's done that really stands out for for Kansas State obviously you know, it, it's not the hardest thing in the world. Well, it's hard because not a lot of people do it, but building a nice physical run game out of like mid three star recruits, um, being able to be really physical. That's not a huge surprise. In the, like, obviously, it's hard to do. Otherwise, everybody would do it. But that part of what Kansas State does makes a lot of sense. The way they create big plays, however, um, when they don't really ever have a bunch of five-star blue chippers running around, uh, they whether it's w whatever it is, if it's uh, a talent identification or development or whatever, they make more, they're more explosive 
than a mid three mid to high three star team is supposed to be. Um, and even after losing all those guys last year, um, they land some punches and they they do a really nice job. I will say, Malik Murphy scared me last week. Uh, they don't have the uh, they have their tenth, I think, in offensive SP plus. Texas is they're not tenth with Malik Murphy right now. Uh, he was really he got a little better as the game went on, and he didn't have to do a thing uh, because they were dominating in the trenches because BYU was ne- never going to threaten to score enough. Um, but he looked really, really, really shaky, uh, especially early on. And I think if Kansas State can mess with his footwork, um, ru- rush him. We, we might see Arch Manning is what I'm saying, uh, because he could make some some pretty big mistakes early in the game. So I'm, <laughs> I always go with what the, the numbers say, because I'm you know i I'm never, you know, bold picks or anything <laughs> like that. But part of me does want to take K-State in this game because this feels like the kind of game that K-State wins. Um, with the backup quarterback making mistakes. We know they can beat up on a backup quarterback. They've done it, like you said, quite a bit this year. Um, and and if, if they can stand up in the trenches better than almost anybody else in the Big 12 can too. That's where Texas has had a lot of their advantage this year. They're just the, they have the best line play overall. And it's, it's you know, if add to that a really good receiving core and everything else, it's been too hard to stop. But man, if K-State can get in Malik Murphy's head, uh, for some early turnovers, maybe build an early lead. That that becomes a really, really, really interesting game because they they can play well with a lead with that run game. So, uh, yeah, I'm not saying I'm picking them because I don't I don't take risks ever, but I would definitely be picking them to cover at the very least because I do think they have the ingredients to keep it pretty close and make it. Uh, really, even if Texas wins, I think Kansas State can make it really, really messy. Bill, you don't have to justify yourself and your decisions to not make bold picks or going against the model. Kinger knows all too well my, uh, I mean, I'm a slave to the model when it comes to the pick'em. We're going to pick this game in the pick'em, so we will get your straight up pick out of this one and confidence points a little bit later in the episode. But first, guys, we're moving on to the number one game of the day, at least in my opinion, by my watchability scores and just honestly in terms of my personal interests. I'm talking about the game uh, that I put on the slate, so I'll take it first. LSU, Alabama at night, whether it's in Death Valley or Bryant-Denny, this is seemingly always one of the most highly anticipated games of the college football season. This year is no different. Watchability score of 9.8. It's my number one game of the week. It's my number seven game of the entire regular season. Guys, it's pretty simple for Alabama. Just like I said for Georgia, you win this game, make your travel plans for a trip to Atlanta in early December. The Tide also need this win to keep their college football playoff hopes alive as well. Uh, but an LSU win, that makes things pretty interesting in the West. Sets up a scenario in which there could end up being a three-way tie among LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss. But the Rebels still have to go to uh, Athens next week. So a win for the Tigers in this one would give LSU what could ultimately be a very critical head-to-head over uh, advantage over Alabama could ultimately be uh, the key to sending LSU to Atlanta for the second consecutive year. For this game, um, I've got Alabama minus two and a half. It's a 57% win expectancy for the Crimson Tide. Alabama's currently power rated number nine in my model. The Crimson Tide haven't finished a season ranked that low since 2008. That was Nick Saban's second year in Tuscaloosa. But I've talked about this before, really with regard to Alabama and Georgia in particular. Alabama doesn't need to be better than the previous versions of itself. The Tide only need to be better than the teams that are on their schedule this year in 2023. And with a 38% chance to finish the regular season 11-1, and that's exactly how the model is currently evaluating this team. Alabama's offense is power rated number 20 right now, 16 spots worse uh, than what it was in the preseason, but it's nine spots better than it was five weeks ago. So 
too high on him to start, maybe dropped him down too low in the middle of the year. Now are they finding their groove again? We'll see. But as has been the case for the majority of Saban's tenure, it's the defense that's carrying this team. I have them ranked number five nationally for the third straight week. And this is a unit that's going to have to play lights out on Saturday night because LSU, they have the best offense that the Tide will face all season by my current numbers. Bill, I said earlier the Missouri stat and the Kansas State stat about you know best team since. My power rating suggests that this LSU team in 2023, it's better than the 2022 version that beat the Crimson Tide and won the West last year. I mean, LSU's current power rating of 22.0 in my model is the best since they finished the 2019 season with a national championship and a power rating of 35.9. That's among the best ever for any college football team, at least in my historical data set. Um, it starts with the offensive unit. They rank number two nationally. They're only behind Oregon in that regard this week. Uh, and much like this is the best unit the Alabama defense will play all season, this Alabama defense is the best unit that the Tiger offense will play all year as well. It's a strength-on-strength -strength mashup. It should be phenomenal. It's a big reason why this game has such a high watchability score. Both teams were off last week. No rest advantage here per usual in this matchup. The difference in this game for me comes down to two things. The LSU defense, it's number 56. It's the only unit ranked outside the top 20 nationally. And this game is in Tuscaloosa. Alabama remembers how last year's game ended in Death Valley, overtime, two-point conversion, ending their hopes. They remember that. They want to get revenge for that. I think Tuscaloosa is going to show up. I've got Alabama minus two and a half. It's a 43% chance that LSU pulls off the upset for the second year in a row against the Crimson Tide. Bill, what do you think? <laughs> um, so for the, the preview I've been piecing together for Friday, I, I realized there's basically two things you can, one of these two things is true. And I have no idea which one it is, um, about LSU's defense on one hand, um, you know, after giving up, I think three touchdowns to start the Missouri game, kind of trading blows for a while. I think they gave up, it was seven points in like the last five Missouri drives of that game since that game. Uh, in their two games since they have, oh, they've well, they've given up 18 points. Obviously, Auburn and Aubrey are very good, but they've overachieved proje against projections by almost 24 points in those games. Um, that's usually those are the little. I, I usually watch those kinds of things just to kind of catch on trends. Uh, like last week, I started I started talking about Oklahoma's wobbly defense, and I got yelled at by every OU fan on the planet for it. But it was basically because. The couple weeks before that, they were suddenly starting to underachieve those projections by a touchdown or so. And when you look into why, you see suddenly like a big, a bunch of big plays showing up or more than before. And and it was kind of it's a little trend spotter kind of deal. And and if LSU's defense turns things around, this is exactly how it looks. Um, you know, in these games pre previously, and if they suddenly have what is more like a top twenty or thirty defense. Then they, abs I mean, I mean, they're twelfth in SP plus. They're really more like a top eight or so team if they've got a top thirty defense, uh, and they're at, and they're pretty much Alabama's equal at that point. On the other hand, um, they still gave up thirty nine points to Missouri, and in the three games this year where they've faced a team in my top twenty offensively, as Alabama is, they've given up forty six points per game and seven point eight yards per play. So. One of these two things is true, um, and if if it's a start of a turnaround, then LSU's got a really good chance of pulling a win. If it's just that they can kind of overwhelm less athletic or less talented offenses, um, and they just get overwhelmed by anybody who knows what they're doing and has really good athletes, then Alabama's even with Alabama's weird run the ball a lot, but don't do it very efficiently. Only every, every pass completion's thirty five yards. All the weird things they do right now, taking a sack on like every other freaking drop back. 
even with all that, they're going to score too many points for LSU because their defense, as amazing as Jaden Daniels is, and honestly, he'd be my Heisman winner right now if I had a vote. Um, Alabama's defense is way better than LSU's defense. The the advantages there are are bigger for uh, Alabama overall. So, yeah, that's I mean. I'm going to pick Bama because, I mean, for 15 years now, I always pick Bama, and I'm almost always right. Um, but it, it is – if what we saw the last couple of games is a sign that LSU's defense is figuring things out, then this is a straight toss up in my book. I've had some LSU fans saying this reminds me of 2019. And I'm like, well, I don't think it can remind you of that. You've already already lost. You've already caught the loss. You already caught the losses. If you want to talk about, you know, offense is great and defense improving. Okay. But let's stop it right there because the 2019 team was uh, out of this world. Kinger, what about you? I know you love talking Bama. Let's hear it. Yeah, favorite stat of the week I want to start off with. There is not a single QB that has beaten a Nick Saban coach team twice in a row since Drew Brees with Purdue over his Michigan State Spartans in 1997-1998. I had to get my Purdue shout-out in there somewhere. Jaden Daniels has the opportunity to do that this week. In this LSU offense, it does just continue to roll and put up ridiculous numbers this year. They're number one total offense in the country, only team in the country with over eight yards per play, number one on first down yardage, third down conversions, and scoring. They're absolutely rolling. Now, Jaden Daniels did struggle versus Bama defense last year. He did not have a great day passing the football. And I think Bama, I expect a similar fight from the Tide this year. Now, I think his numbers are going to be better than last year. I anticipate them scoring some more points. They should have some more success in the passing game. But the strength of this Alabama defense has definitely been the improvement of the front seven as the season has progressed. They've been really get stout against the run matchup this week to watch. They're only allowing three yards per carry on the ground. LSU been averaging almost six yards per carry on the ground. I think Daniels is likely going to find a way to make the place of the air. Bama has players in the secondary that can compete. They've got NFL talent there, but LSU does have the weapons to match. And the focus is going to be not letting Daniels get outside the pocket, not let him extend plays. That read option is obviously a big part of this offense. And with those weapons LSU has, Bama is going to be tested this week. Now, last time Bama did play an offense with a similar amount of talent. They did lose to Texas, so we can take that as we will. But there is a lot of pressure on Bama defense to play well in this game. They want to keep it in the moderate scoring because Alabama, at the end of the day, the offense is improving, but they don't want to end this up in a shootout. They don't want to have the game on Jalen Milrow's shoulders, having to execute a drive late in the game. They'd much rather rely on this defense. And I think that this is a position where Alabama should be able to move the ball at least versus this a pretty bad LSU secondary. The pressure has been a problem for LSU. They're going to have to unleash Harold Perkins in this game. He does have the ability to be a game wrecker. He's going to have to have a huge game this week. So the big shots are a big part of this Bama offense. If Milrow can can land a couple of those, push the ball down the field, they should be able to score some points in this one. I really want to bet LSU badly in this one, Kelly. I told you I was going to lay off the Bama games. You told me it was going to be LSU weekend where I decided to, to break that streak, and that's exactly what's happening Give me Alabama minus three. I'm adding it to my card. I can't lay off it. The Tide are probably going to win this game by two, and I'm going to hate them even more. But Alabama at home, I don't think Nick Saban's losing another game. This year in conference, it means too much to this team. There's too much talent on the defense, so give me the Tide. King, I just I can't. The predictability, it's like me picking with the model. You already know it's going to happen. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Roll with it. I absolutely love that. All right, guys, we're on to the last game. It's our fans pick of the week. And King, I'll let you in on a secret. So I usually, as you know, we you pick your game, I pick my game, guest picks their game, and then I just go with watchability score. The next top four games in the watchability, that's what I put out on the poll. I actually made an alteration this week because the game that finished fifth on the leftover list there was Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. And I said, you know what? It's the last Bedlam game that we're going to get for who knows how long. I'm going to make a manual override here. I'm going to put Oklahoma-Oklahoma State on there. 
And I'm glad I did. It's the game that I was hoping the fans would pick. King, it's the game that the fans did pick. Bill, if I'm not mistaken, you grew up in Oklahoma or spent time in Oklahoma, I think. So uh, we're going to start with you, as we always do on the fans pick. Uh, our guest is going to start us off. Bill, it's the final bedlam that's on the books. We don't know when or if we're getting it back. What do you think of this game? What does this game mean to you as a Oklahoman, Oklahomian? I mean, I guess it still qualifies. I think at this point I've lived in Missouri longer, but I did live in Oklahoma through high school. Um, Bedlam is one of those, like there's this whole category of rivalry that is amazing about one third of the time. Um, And you know, because you know, one there's a heavyweight, and then there's the the annoyed upstart that's that always gets annoyed that they get all the headlines. Um, and and this is kind of the epitome of that kind of rivalry. Obviously, up here in Missouri, there was a Missouri played one of those was on the Oklahoma State side of things in a, in a basketball rivalry at least with with Kansas and football with Nebraska. Come to think of it, but um, you know, it's just one of those like. This game for the last 20 years, half of the games have been OU wins by two touchdowns or more, and half of them have been unbelievably awesome games, either because they're stupid track meets. I mean, you're looking at like 62 52, 61 41, 48 47, 51 48, um, just crazy, crazy games that OU usually wins. Um, and I, I I guess it would be justice if the last Bedlam game was one of those OU 14-point wins, but I hope not. Um, there is at least a path here for OSU to succeed. You know, the, the environment's going to be unbelievable. Um, they Obviously, they've uncovered a Barry Sanders, uh, apparently, in, in uh, Ollie Gordon. Just three games into the season, they didn't know he was their number one back, and they said, well, let's try to give him the ball more, and he starts rushing for 200-whatever yards a game. Um, OU's uh, run defense is is solid. They do create some negative plays, but they do give up some decent sized chunks too. That's just been they're a very kind of an all or nothing unit overall. Uh, so theoretically, you can kind of piece together a you know Ollie Gordon runs wild. The backup running backs also do well because they're not terrible either. Uh, Alan Bowman doesn't have to do much. Um, and on defense, the a really really aggressive Oklahoma State defense is able to land some shots before OU lands some on them. And, um, you know, they're going to take the fight to OU. They're very, very, very physical. And, um, you know, uh, it's you know, worse OSU teams have technically won game, uh, games against Oklahoma. Uh, and and I, I, I really hope that we get one more nonsense game. That game a couple of years ago, the 37-33 OSU game, uh, win over OU, just one of my favorite games of the 2020s so far. Just everything you want Bedlam to be. And if that's the last amazing one we get, I guess that's okay but I'm greedy and I want one more. And uh, I feel like, oh, you probably wins comfortably and I hope not. That's all very fair analysis. King, what do you think about the final bedlam that we have scheduled? I'm with Bill. I need one more good game. And it is going to be an absolutely rowdy environment in Stillwater this weekend. You know how badly Oklahoma State and the fans are going to want this game. And we talk about turnaround this season. Oklahoma State, after four weeks, sitting at two and two after a blowout loss, including a blowout loss to South Alabama at home. And to be in this position now at six and two, it's a credit credit to Gundy and what they've been able to accomplish with the roster they've had, making changes to suit the talent that they've had. So the Oklahoma State offense, it's not pretty, but they are quietly averaging over 40 points per game in their last three. That's a lot of that is coming on the run game. And Ollie Gordon, like you mentioned, this is the nation's leading rusher and one of two guys already have a thousand yards on the season. The run defense is definitely going to have to be better for Oklahoma to win this game. Bill, you mentioned you were catching some 
some some crap from some of these Oklahoma fans on Twitter. I saw that and actually looking into the Oklahoma defense. I mean, you're exactly right. They're still only allowing 3.6 yards per carry and four rushing touchdowns on the year, but there have been some struggles there. They led up to 225 on the ground last week to Kansas, 150 apiece the previous two weeks to UCF in Texas. Danny Stutzman is their best linebacker. He left the game. He's big in the run game. He left the game last week with an ankle injury. He's expected to play this week, so getting him back is going to be important. But they, the question is, I mean, they know Oklahoma State's going to try and run the ball, and can they stop that? I don't know. I think Oklahoma State will find a way to score some points in this game, but the difference is, is I do think there is a pretty big advantage with the Oklahoma offense. Gabriel was a little bit limited through the air last week. He had to help out on the ground, three rushing touchdowns. I expect him to regain some of that form this week in that Oklahoma passing offense. This is a 92nd-ranked Oklahoma State secondary. Oklahoma State is 13th in Big 12 with allowing 43 plays of 20 yards for more. Oklahoma has been a very explosive team, and that's an area that I think they can capitalize on this week. And I do think the Oklahoma run game should open up a little bit as well. That should give some more freedom to the offense, and I expect Oklahoma to score in this one. So the emotions are going to be high. I got killed on Oklahoma last week. I bet them minus eight at Kansas late. That was obviously not the right decision. But this week, I do think they are going to be too much in Bedlam. Final game, they're going to want to make sure they, they make a statement win after some question marks after the loss last week. So I am going to lay the points with Oklahoma this week as well in Stillwater. I think it's going to be close for a half, but I do think the Sooners find a way to pull away as the game progresses. Sometimes for fun, I just go to some of Bill's posts and just read some of the comments, like just to amuse myself. So, Bill, I, I I can only imagine how you feel. I know how frustrated I get with some comments. Can only imagine the volume that you get and some of that. I know we're talking about the OU fans a couple weeks or last week. It's just, yeah, dude. It's it's not good, but it is it is a nice little laugh for those of us, Bill, who don't have to deal with it and respond in some cases. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just usually when I write something, I know like, okay, this this is probably going to piss somebody off. And, and I don't I don't ever look to do that. I just know that, you know, I'm going to say something that, you know, is, is going to piss some people off. It's fine. It happens. Um, but it's OU fans, I think, catch me off guard with what they get mad at more than anything. There are some massive chips on shoulders considering they root for one of the, like the three or four most uh, successful programs in the history of college football. And, and again, I grew up around OU fans. Um, so I, I mean, this, none of this was completely new to me, but yeah, I thought watching, uh, you know, UCF complete an 86 yard pass and where the receiver is so comfortably running down the field that he waves or blows a kiss or whatever to the OU sideline. Um, and then they break off another couple of big plays and almost steal a game uh, from OU. Thought that was reason enough to accept that maybe their defense was giving up a few too many big plays and was looking a little wobbly, but I was wrong. Um, and, and, and to OU fans' credit, they have... They watched Lincoln Riley teams for half a decade. Um, they think that their offense is terrible right now because they're used to number one offenses, and they think their defense is great right now because they they are used to you know number eighty defenses. So their their perception is just skewed. And I and I I'm I you know I try to be pretty forgiving about that, but it, it got to be quite a bit when I didn't expect any. I didn't really think I was saying anything controversial to begin with, and it was treated like I was. It's not college football Twitter if fans aren't mad. It doesn't matter what was said or who said it. It's not tw college football Twitter if fans aren't mad. Guys, the committee has these teams both ranked. Uh, Oklahoma number nine, Oklahoma State number 22. I don't have a huge issue with Oklahoma. I'd have the Sooners actually number eight. I really don't understand the love for the Cowboys here, though. King, you touched on it. Bill, you talked about it, too. Like This team's getting better for sure. But if you look at the resume, I have them number 30 right now. Uh, number 27 record achievement, number 32 relative scoring margin. I, I know they're playing better, but I still wouldn't have this team in the top 25 based on resumes to date. 
Uh, another thing that gets me is, hey, this is a ranked, quote, ranked win opportunity for Oklahoma. Okay, well, if Oklahoma wins this game, Oklahoma oh, State's probably not ranked. ranked. They're not yeah. ranked anymore. So that's why the whole, quote, ranked wins and, quote, record versus top 25 drives me absolutely nuts because every single week that's going to change. So Oklahoma, hey, go beat this team you're supposed to beat. You did. Uh, that win that we thought was good because they were ranked, well, now they're not, so now it doesn't count. I, it just makes no sense. But Don't beat them that. by too much because you don't <laughs> yeah. want them to drop out of the polls. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Like, what What are we doing? I, I don't get it. Ranked wins. Ah, I Okay, I'm going to put it aside because this is Bedlam. It means more this year uh, than ever before for the reasons we've talked about. We don't know if or when we'll get it again. Watchability scores 8.2. It's a top 10 game of the week uh, for me. I'd argue it should be even higher. I got to figure out a way to put in like a rivalry bo bonus or conference championship game leverage bonus here because this game should be higher than an 8.2 in my opinion. The In addition to the indefinite bragging rights that are at stake, this game also carries massive Big 12 championship game implications, much like Texas and Kansas State that we talked about earlier. Oklahoma currently has the best chance to make it to Arlington, 73% with my current numbers. A win would see that figure go north of 80%, but a loss would drop the Sooners to just a one in three chance to make it to the champ game. This is a week after they were looking at like 90%. I mean, two straight losses would be really unthinkable if we go back to just, you know, seven days ago right now. For Oklahoma State, a win makes it a 50-50 proposition for uh, the Cowboys to make it to the title game. A loss leaves them at like 10% chance. So not great. They need this one, I'd argue, even more than Oklahoma. I've got Oklahoma minus 12 in this one. I know it's a large discrepancy from the spread. It's an 80% win expectancy. Oklahoma has fallen from number two to number 10 in the past two weeks in my power ratings after their two-point win at home against UCF and five-point loss uh, at, in Lawrence. So the Sooners' relative scoring margin, it's down to a season-low number six. That just further emphasizes the recent downturn and form that both Bill and Kinger talked about there. But still, my model thinks the market's overcorrecting here. The Sooners' offense is still number seven. The defense is still top 25, which, you know, as Bill just pointed out, they're used to Lincoln-Riley defenses. That's That might as well be a top five defense this year for Oklahoma fans at number 24. Um, that's better than both of Oklahoma State's units by my numbers. So I know Oklahoma State's won four on the bounce. They're currently season-best power rating 7.4, corresponding power rating rank of number 33. All that's positive. The Cowboys offense, defense, both power ranked season best at number 29, number 46, respectively. All these things are good signs. These teams are trending in different directions. But the thing about trends is peaks and valleys. At some point, you kind of level back out and you regress or progress back to the mean. This might be that week. Uh, Oklahoma is the best team. They got the best offense uh, that Oklahoma State's going to play all year. I know this game's in Stillwater. I'm a firm believer that winning on the road is the hardest thing to do in college football, especially when it's against your rival. But the model just expects Oklahoma to bounce back this week. So bottom line, Oklahoma minus 12, 20% chance that Oklahoma State makes it two in a row against the Sooners in Stillwater. And who knows if or when uh, the Sooners will be back. So guys, those were our feature games. All of them going to be fantastic. I cannot wait for this college football Saturday. But before we get out of here, we always have to talk about the ESPN Pick'em Competition. Um, Bill, the company, we, we love this competition. We've, we've done it every single year. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we've changed the format of the show a little bit. We used to just talk about these games. Now we've changed it, and, uh, and we're happier for it. But, man, Bill, I'll tell you what. The K-Ford ratings model has been catching fire here in recent weeks. King, we're back up to number one in the standings. I, I know he's, he's not like he's shaking his, he's shaking his in, head. Rub it in, yeah. Here we go. I'm just telling you, man, trust the model. It's figured things out. It's hit its stride. So, Bill, the way this works, we're going to start with you every time. We'll go you, King, or me. 
top t- or uh, these 10 games, confidence points straight up, no spread, just who's going to win the game. One to 10, 10's your most confident, one's your least. You pick every single number once. We're starting in the SEC West. We've got Texas A&M going on the road to Ole Miss, Bill. Who's your straight up winner and how many confidence points? Um, I'm going to say Ole Miss. I'm going to give it seven, I guess. Um, I This is a really fun game, actually. It's you know the strength versus strength, lesser strength versus lesser strength. Like It, it should be really close, but I think it, it's, it's, in, it's in Oxford, so Ole Miss. Kinger, what about you? Yeah, I lean Ole Miss in this one as well. It is in Oxford and Lane Kiffin. You know he's got some burning internal hatred for Jimbo Fisher, so I think oh, some yeah. extra motivation for this. So I'm taking the Rebels for five. I will make it a clean three for three, and I'll keep our numbers going here. I'll split the difference and go Ole Miss for six. This next game, guys, it's a non-conference game between two teams that have had different seasons, probably both a little disappointing, one more so than the other. We've got Notre Dame hitting the road to play a Clemson team that is four and four as we enter November. Raise your hand if you thought you had that or coming into the season. Put your hands down. You're all lying. I know I didn't expect it, Bill. Not sure what SP Plus said here, but what do you think about Notre Dame at Clemson, the current version of Clemson, right. not what we thought in August? Well, I think Clemson's fine, really. Like From a stat standpoint, they're really still okay. They're not as bad as 4-4. Four and four. Um, they, they don't take any chances in big games or in close games. They never have, but they've always been more talented than their other teams. Now they're not as talented or they don't have that advantage and suddenly playing it super safe and not taking any risks is a bad thing. I can't believe I'm giving Notre Dame eight points, but I feel very confident in Notre Dame. My numbers, I mean, all these games are really close, obviously. Um, but, uh, my number is like 60, 40 Notre Dame. I'm I, that's worth about eight points. Who do we talk to at ESPN? King and I talk about this every week about these pick'em games. They are all so so close projections. It makes it so difficult. Kinger, what do you got here? Yeah, I'll keep the trend, which is being a single digit off from Bill. I'm going to take Notre Dame for seven confidence points. All right. I'll keep the trend of using consecutive numbers. Uh, I'll go one up from you guys. I'll take Notre Dame and take them for nine confidence points. Much like Bill, it's not that I'm overly confident in Notre Dame in this one. It's just when you look at the other games we're picking against, that's what the model spits out is this is the ninth or the second most confident game that we have in terms of projected spread. Uh, well, Here's a I, game. By the way, sorry. Uh, Notre Dame's also looked spectacular the last two weeks. Um, so if that's real, then then that's even more reason. But anyway without a doubt, and it makes you Notre Dame fans have to be left to wonder what could have been, what would have been if that, if this team we've seen recently is the one that played I know at, at Louisville or potentially even against Ohio state, of course, they're still one play away from winning that game as it was. So yeah, it could be a, what could have been season for Notre Dame if they continue their current form for sure. Here's a game we broke down as a feature bill, Kansas state at Texas. You talked about maybe not being so bold as to take it. Let's hear it. Who's their pick in this one and how many points? Yeah, this, I'm going against the numbers. This was, I think, the the biggest win percent, projected win probability of the bunch, but I'm only giving Texas two points. I'm very scared of Malik Murphy making a bunch of mistakes. Fair. I'm still picking Texas, but I'm giving them two points. I like it. Hey, you went with the model's winner, but adjusted the points. I give you more credit than I. You, uh, I can't even do that. King, what do you got going on? I'm taking Texas for six. All right, I'll join you guys. It's been a, a boring agreement so far. I'm taking Texas. I'm taking them for eight confidence points in this one. Uh, Bill, back to you for a game we broke down. It's Bedlam, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. I want to jinx a good game into happening, so I'm giving OU 10. <laughs> there we go, Kinger. I'm laying the points with OU, so I got to go high here. I'm taking Oklahoma for nine. Uh, Bill, I'll try to join you on that jinx. Give me Oklahoma for 10. I, 
I've had a habit of missing my 10 pointers this year. So, somehow, some way, King, I'll miss the 10 and get almost all the others. So wouldn't be surprised at all if we miss it. And I won't be mad if we miss it because that means we had a good and surprising game in this rivalry. Uh, here we go out to the Sun Belt Conference, a team that I wish was eligible. They are not. So the team they're playing has a lot on the line in terms of conference championship game leverage. James Madison going on the road to Georgia State Bill. This is so stupid. Like they're not even going to be ranked in our, since we use college football playoff rankings now, they're not even going to be ranked the rest of the season. It's just a dumb process. I can't, uh, like, it's just it, it, grumble, grumble, grumble. Anyway, J- JMU is really good. Uh, I've, ca- I've talked up Georgia state a few times this year, but I just don't trust them at this point. I guess I do a little, cause I'm only giving JMU six points, but I'm giving you JMU six points. I saw Bill your your tweet, your post. Um, I, I can't remember where you said meet, but Hey, James Madison and, uh, what Jacksonville State? It's me and Charlotte. Why don't we get together here and play a bowl game of the? I forget what you called it, but it was pretty good. Yeah, no, this uh, Charlotte's basically the midway point. Just to say, it's screw it, we're we're bowling anyway. There we go. I absolutely love it, King. What do you think here? I'm on JMU for ten. Okay, I'll join you guys on JMU. We are now halfway through the pick'em, and we haven't had a single pick go against each other. Give me James Madison, but I'm going to be the least confident out of all of you. I'll take the Dukes for five. Here's one I could see us going different ways, because I think it's going to be a really close game. We're back in the Big 12, kind of the the Tier 2 contenders still. Still in the mix, but no one's really given them a serious look, because I don't think the power ratings respect them as much as the other contenders. We've got Kansas, fresh off their win against Oklahoma, hitting the road to play an Iowa State team that's still in the mix in the Big 12. One point to Iowa State. Um, I think their defense is exactly what Kansas doesn't want to face if Kansas is hung over at all. Um, their de- their offense isn't amazing, but yeah, one, I'll, the slightest of edge is to ISU. I knew it was going to be a small number. Kinger, what about you? Yeah, I want to take Kansas in this one, but with that hangover Bill's mentioned, Iowa State at home with a good defense there. This is going to be a very close football game. I'm going to take the Cyclones for three. Hey, we're going to have our first disagreement. My model's saying uh, it's a pick 'em, 51% win expectancy, and that's good enough for two points this week. Give me Kansas for two. That means there's at least one other game here with a 51% win expectancy. Um, Speaking of, we're going to go out to the Pac-12, a game that in the preseason everybody had circled. I think we still have it circled, but maybe he's lost a little bit of luster because one team hasn't quite held up their end of the deal. I'm talking about the Pac-12 preseason favorites, USC. They are hosting Washington, the only undefeated team left in the Pac-12, number five in the CFP's committee rankings, uh, one spot ahead of Oregon. Bill, what do you think about this? The Huskies going on the road to play the I, the one thing that I don't like about Washington is their defense doesn't disrupt anything ever. Like they tackle okay, they play okay at times, uh, but they're not they're not doing anything to if they don't disturb Caleb Williams at all. Like USC is going to score forty points, and Washington might score sixty, but um, I don't feel incredibly confident about this game from a Washington standpoint. So I'll go Washington with four. Kinger, yeah, I think USC in the points is is about to take a look at this week. The motivation factor for USC is definitely maybe a little bit of a question mark, something to look at for this game. But Washington's a little bit banged up as well. They've got some issues with that wide receiver core. That defense has definitely not been anything special. So I'm going to lean the Huskies just slightly, but I also have them for two confidence, or I have them for two confidence points. This is a game, King, that if I would have lost, if, if I would have lost the the bet, the Ohio State Purdue uh, game. This is the one I would have used it on. I think uh, the, the bet bill was if Purdue beats Ohio State, Kelly got to pick against the model one time. I, I, I'm not doing it again, and it makes me a little sick, to be honest. It's a 51% win expectancy for the Trojans in this one. I, I don't think, as Kelly Ford, the person, that USC is going to win this game. I'm rolling with the model, though. I'm taking USC. I'm taking them for one confidence point. Um, not surprised at all if Washington wins this game. I actually kind of expect it, but I'm 
maybe maybe spiting my nose or spiting my face for my nose, whatever that saying is. I don't even know. I'm taking USC. I think Washington probably ends up winning. Guys, uh, the feature game that I picked out, number one game of the week for me, it's in the SEC West. SEC West lead on the line. LSU at Alabama. Bill, what do you think? I'm giving Bama three points. Um, I, again, I, I just I don't know what to think about the LSU defense, but Jane Daniels is amazing, so I don't completely trust that this is safe for Bama. Kinger? Just more ammo for me to hate Alabama if they lose this game. I got the tie for eight. Eight, okay. Uh, I'll join you guys on Alabama. I'm taking Alabama for four confidence points. Here's a game in the ACC. Could be a little <laughs> off the radar, but I think still interesting. We've got Miami going to NC State, Bill. I don't trust either of these teams <laughs> in the slightest. Um, so I just went straight with the numbers. Numbers say Miami 64% win probability, which basically gives them – for for not caring about like not having an opinion, I hate putting nine points on Miami, <laughs> uh, but that's where they landed. So whatever. I totally get it, uh, Kinger. What about you? Give me Miami for four. I'm going to join you guys on Miami. I'll split the difference a little bit. I'll take the Hurricanes for seven. Bill, agree with you. Don't love that, but that's where it spits out this week. And our last game, Pac-12 after dark, should be a, a really good one here. UCLA going on the road to Arizona, Bill. Yeah, I really like Arizona now. The numbers, SP Plus says UCLA 60% win probability. Um, I, I don't like UCLA's, I don't trust UCLA, but they're clearly talented and athletic. I'm going to give them five points, but I don't like that at all. I think Arizona's rising very, very quickly. Agree with you. Might be one of the, the most improved teams if you're looking at the last two, three weeks of, of anybody in college football. Uh, King, or what about you? Yeah, I'm I'm going to take the upset here. I'm going to take Arizona at home in Tucson. UCLA has really struggled versus their two competent road opponents this year in the Pac-12 at Utah and at Oregon State. They did win a road game at Stanford, but this is going to be a tough one. Weird things happen in Tucson at night, and Arizona's trending in the right direction. So I take, I'm taking them with one. Weird things do happen in Tucson at night. Kinger, I'm glad you went with Arizona. That means you and Bill don't have all 10 same winners. I like that. I'm going to take UCLA. I'm going to take them for three confidence points. Uh, King, any any best bets you want to get to here uh, to close out the show? And then, Bill, of course, we'll come to you. I know you do the article, and so anything you're willing and, and able to share. Uh, <laughs> he's laughing. They're terrible picks in the, in the article, so it doesn't matter if I share them. Kit Kinger, what do you got for us that will hit Bill? Well, Bill, I've been giving out pretty much nothing but terrible picks. I might be a pretty <laughs> bad gambler this year thus far, but hey, everybody, I'm due. I'm as due as it could possibly be. I want to bet like 15 games this weekend. We're not, we're going to definitely limit ourselves a little bit, but I've placed four bets already. Two of them already mentioned. I am going to take Bama laying the points. I'm going to take Oklahoma laying the points. I also like Nebraska laying three on the road at Michigan State this week. This is a team that can become bowl eligible. I think that defense is going to carry them to a pretty good win on the road in East Lansing. And then a team that I should have bet last week. I wanted to take West Virginia. They were laying seven versus Houston last week. Absolutely blew them out of the water. They are given 10 at home versus BYU this week. I'm going to take BYU in the points. BYU had a pretty atrocious showing versus Texas last week. But I think that defense is competent enough to show slow down West Virginia. That West Virginia, West Virginia defense that really took off at the beginning of the year looked like it was going to be very good, maybe slowed down just a little bit. I think 10 points is too much in that matchup as well. So those are the initial four. Card to be expanded. Love it. Bill? Um, yeah, I, I'm like 2-8 and eight the last two weeks. I Early in the season, I was horrifically unlucky, got a whole bunch of bad beats, felt pretty good about my read on everything. The last two weeks, I've just been wrong constantly. So... Um, I think the one pick I absolutely trust right now, I think Mississippi State's pretty close to 
you know, a quit factor here uh, this year. And I don't think Kentucky is at all three and a half. They're, they're quite a bit more than three and a half points better than Mississippi State, I think, uh, even in Starkville. I trust that one. I can get behind that one as well with my numbers. Bill, this has been an awesome episode. Really appreciate you joining us. We went a little bit longer than we anticipated. I probably could have told you that that was going to happen on this episode. But I've we been appreciate- on podcasts before. <laughs> <I understand. laughs> we appreciate you hanging with us. Um, Bill, it, it, I, again, I think it goes without saying, but if you wouldn't mind, just plug everything you want to plug. Where can the listeners find all your work, whether that's on X, whether it's over at ESPN, just Plug away anything you want to let it, let the listeners know where they can find all your great stuff. I've been calling it Twitter for 15 years. I'm not going to stop calling it Twitter, but um, I mean, that's always been my, that's always been my just go to is everything's there in the, in the, the link in the bio, there's a, um, a Google doc with all my ESPN stuff in it and the best place to start, I would say. It absolutely is the best place to start. Oh, ESPN uh, underscore Bill C. That was kind of the, the, you got to <laughs> actually put the Twitter handle in the promotion. So there you go. There you go. Make sure you check out Bill's stuff. If you're not already following him, I can't imagine any of the listeners aren't, but if you aren't, please make sure you do. He's great. One of the godfathers of college football analytics, him and Brian Fromo, as I mentioned earlier. So Bill, thank you again. We really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. Best of luck to your Missouri Tigers here this weekend in Georgia. It should be a tough one, but all eyes will be on that game in the afternoon window. That's for sure. Until next time. Enjoy the week 10 of the 2023 college football season. This has been the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the BSN Collegiate Network.